Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Joining us today is Brad Allen, three-time world duck calling champion. Brad, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, you know, it's one thing we do with everyone that comes on the show is we give people an opportunity for you to introduce yourself to our audience. So, Brad, kind of tell everybody where you're from, uh, what you do, and, and you know, kind of how you got into championship calling. Well, I'd love to start off with I was born the son of a sharecropper, but it wasn't it wasn't quite, uh, we won't go back quite that far. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I've been duck hunting my whole life. I started hunting with my father when I was six years old. And, um, you know, it was just, it was just part of life. I grew up in a, in a big metropolitan area. It's a little town called Beattyville, Arkansas. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, I did not live in, in the city itself. I was out in the suburbs. <laughs> the suburbs of Beattyville. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but anyway, just hunted there on Cash River, grew up in Arkansas, hunted my whole life. Um, uh, 1988, my dad took me to the world championship duck calling contest in Stuttgart. We went down to the festival, enjoyed that. And I just fell in love with it. Um, and it just kind of became a father son trip for us, uh, every year. You know, my dad was a farmer, so I didn't get to see much of him growing up in the summer. He, where he farmed was, um, you know, he was 45 minutes there, 45 minutes home, working long hours. I didn't get to see a lot of him, but, you know, he had the winters off. So I really, I think that's how I felt. One of the reasons I fell in love with, with duck hunting so much is I got to spend time with him and, you know, just being out there and, and uh, chasing the ducks on Cash River, a uh, great way to grow up. But we started going to the contest. I never really dreamed about uh, entering it. I was just always amazed at how good those guys were at blowing duck call. But I uh, went, uh, went to college and got my degree in physical therapy. And when I was in college, I, uh, I would come home and, and there was a gentleman that was a world champion duck caller that had, a, that had bought the, uh, hunting club there close to where I grew up. So, you know, summer break and stuff like that, or excuse me, uh, Christmas break, I would come in and do some guiding for him. And I don't know, it just kind of, I thought, man, y'all might be something to try one day, you know, when I get out of college and get a place where I can practice where I won't get evicted. So that's kind of how I got started. I, once I, once I got out of college and, Got out of grad school, um, so I guess that would have been 97. So I started in 98 doing some competition calling, trying to learn how to do that. It uh, took quite a bit of work. It took me about 10 years before I finally won the world championship. Uh, yeah, and that's funny because I was actually, that was the first year that I covered the world's um, Four Ducks Unlimited was the year that in 2010, the first time you won. Um, so, you know, I remember that. I remember trying to take pictures of you up on stage celebrating, you know, I'm sure you remember that vividly, but, uh, but that, I just always know like the first time I ever went there, you know, Brad Allen won the world. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, one thing that I, I kind of want you to explain, and you were probably getting ready to get into it, how difficult is it to, you know, get into this championship calling mentality? And what and what's the main difference that that you would tell people right off the bat? Uh, you know, hey, here here's the kind of mentality that you have to get into to become a world champion duck caller. Well, I think, you know, first of all, the love has got to be there. There's a lot of guys that like duck calling. Just about everybody that duck hunts likes duck calling. You have to have a real passion for it. And if you're really going to set your sights on uh, being a world champion, you have to keep in mind you're competing against the very best and you're, 
you're competing against guys that are very, very talented and they have a lot of drive and they are very focused. And if you want to compete on that level, you have to, you have to have that same desire and you have to be willing to, to travel, to put a lot of time in. Um, it's a great thing to get into. And when I say this, talk about how difficult it is, I don't want to discourage anyone. If it's something you want to try, you know, getting on stage, anybody get on stage, you pay an entry fee, you can get on the stage at a regional or state competition and give it a try. And I suggest that if you, if you think you might be interested in that, do it. Um, even if you don't come away with a world championship trophy, you stand to make some, some lifelong friends. And we see guys that get in the competition column, they get, they become friends and they hunt together and they trade off guys from different states that are competing against each other and they go hunt together. You know, they'll hunt here in this state, then they'll go over here and, so you see some great relationships come out of it. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing, but I think you have to be a perfectionist. You have to realize that it's a subjective type competition. So there's going to be times that you're going to travel a long way and you're not going to win when you think you should have won. There may be some times that you actually get the trophy when you know that maybe there was a guy that probably beat you while you were there. It's a subjective game, which can be very frustrating. But the main thing is you just have to be willing to put in the time. It's just like with anything, you know, if you're practicing a musical instrument or whatever you're doing, you have to put the time in and I think the main thing is you have to remember that it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You have to be willing to, to be in it for the long haul, most likely to have, to have real success. But I think the main thing is you just, you have to be focused and you have to be a perfectionist and really be your toughest critic as you practice and just be willing to put in the time. Yeah. And what's the main difference in the abilities between a kind of a meat caller and a competition caller? Like as far as even air control and things like that, what what are the things that you actually practice doing? Well, you know, the comp, there's different styles of competition. The the main one, the World Championship in Stuttgart, is is coming kind of nicknamed Main Street Calling, which in some ways is very different from other styles of competition. You know, we have some of these it's nicknamed Meat Calling, like you were calling to put some meat on the table, hunting style, uh, or live duck competitions those are getting really popular and most guys love to do both i always enjoy doing both styles of those um so with main street a lot of people listen to it and they shy away from it they like man this is not really duck calling you know because it's about mastery of a call you are taking that duck call for 90 seconds you are pushing it to its absolute limit you know we're doing ringing hail calls i've never done a ringing hail call in a duck blind but you're pushing that call. We're doing ringing hail calls. It's all about perfection. It's about air control, being able to control that call from top to bottom to stair step down uh, cadences and hail calls with that perfectly without missing a step. And then you get to blend in some, you know, some of the lower end stuff, you know, like the, the greeting calls, you know, the softer cadences, the feed call. You really get to put some real duck into that. So it's a mixture of pushing the call to its limit on the top end versus putting some really ducky sounds in the bottom to make a perfectly sounding routine. You know, you're painting a picture for the judges. You have a routine that you go through where you're painting a scenario for them as if you were working ducks. And then with the hunting style contest, that's just a lot more about realism. Sometimes I think it's a little harder to get separation when you don't have a set routine uh, judging it. You know, you, you can have you know, five outstanding duck callers up there. And it's a little bit harder to me to separate them um, than it is when you're going through the the Main Street style. Um, but 
it's if you learn if you master this main street stuff you will you'll be amazed at how much better you're going to get at just calling ducks in the blind because your air control your control of the call is just going to be so much better yeah and that routine in main street calling just you know for our listeners give them an idea um it's it's 90 seconds right and you you step i'm trying to guess paint the picture here so you step up on stage you have a warm-up and then from from that warm up, then you go into your routine. How how long is that warm up? And then how your routine is ninety seconds, and kind of paint that picture for our audience as to exactly how that process works. Sure. Uh, as far as a warm up, you're going to get up there, and you're you're going to be cold. You know, you may have been sitting in the back waiting on your turn for in the world championship. You could be sitting back there for nearly an hour before you've made a sound on a duck call. So. They give you a warm up, and I've always heard that them saying that this is how they incorporate drug testing into competitive duck calling. Because anybody would get up there and start on a routine without taking a warm up has got to be on drugs. So that's a positive <laughs> test. But so you take your warm up, you're allowed as much time as you want, but most people keep it fairly short. And then there's a red light up there, and when you hit your first note, that red light goes off. And then we have 10 seconds left in the routine, that light comes back on. And when you see that light come on, if you don't wrap up your routine that 10 seconds, you're disqualified. You could be leading the third round, the final round of the contest by 10 points, sailing to an easy victory. You make one note past that light, past that 90 seconds, and you're disqualified. You get nothing. So you really have to be mindful of the time. And so basically the picture that you're painting is we're going to start off with a hail call. It's like we see ducks in the distance and we're trying to get their attention to get them to come to us. So we're going to hit three hail calls, very loud ringing calls to get their attention. And then as they come to us, we're going to greet to them with some shorter cadences, just like you would in a duck line. We're going to blow some shorter cadences to greet to them. And then we're going to go into the feed call as supposedly as they are working Closer, about to finish into our decoys, we're doing some softer feed calling, but then something's going to go terribly wrong in this routine. We're going to lose them. So we're going to do a a comeback call. We kind of get more and more excited as we're losing them, and then we're going to blow what they call a triple comeback call. And that's kind of like stringing three of these loud hail calls together. So that takes a lot of air and a lot of control. if you're a smoker, you're probably going to really struggle during this part of the routine because you got to get a good gulp of air. Uh, but we're going to blow a comeback call to bring them back. And in the routine, we're successful. They come back. We're going to start the process somewhat over again. We're going to greet to them again. And then we're going to go into the feed call, except this time they're going to come in land. We're going to uh, blow some soft quacks, set them on the water. Wow. Yeah. No, that that's a perfect description. I, I think that gives everyone a really good idea. Now, when you're doing that, um, and, and once you've probably been in so many competitions, you probably don't, but when you start out and you're practicing, are you visualizing that, you know, are you visual visualizing the ducks coming in, then the ducks leaving, you know, then, you know, kind of backing off a little bit with a feed call, you know, things like that. Are you visualizing that process? To be honest, I don't really think that I'm thinking about that as much. You know, that's that's what you're trying to paint for the judges. Mm-hmm. But when you're actually going through it, I think it, one of the keys to being successful is when I'm blowing that first hail call, I am totally focused on every single note of that hail call that's coming out of, of my call, every single note from top to bottom. And the same thing, you shift from the next one. As soon as you get finished with that, you got to make sure you have a good air reserve. Uh, you're trying to keep your dead time 
down where you're jumping back and hitting that note quickly. And every single note has to be absolutely perfect. And, you know, practicing these things, I guarantee you, I, you know, of course I've been out of it for a while now, but when I was really competing, I would record 10 perfect routines a day. And, you know, if I had one that had a mistake, it got discarded, but I would record 10 and that way I could listen back to it in my truck or anytime that I was driving or, you know, at the end of the day, I'd go back and listen to those routines and just nitpick them. And you get so dialed in that I guarantee you if I, on all 10 of those routines, they would probably have either exactly the same number of notes or they would be within two. To me, the secret is just laser focus on every you know, once you blow the hail call, okay, that's done. Now get into the greeting and I'm thinking about finishing that properly and then transitioning into feed. So I'm not really picturing ducks in my mind. I'm just focusing on making every part of that routine as perfect as I can. Yeah. And, you know, I've actually said this before on, on this podcast, but, you know, I, I judged a, a competition uh, several, several years ago in Kansas City, and I'd never been a judge before. I was just kind of asked to do it and, and ended up doing it. And another, a guy who was actually also a judge, I'm kind of picking his brain for like, hey, what should I be listening, looking for? What's this? And he was like, you know, one out of 100, they start out at 70 just for walking out on stage. And that's because it's difficult just to get up in front of people and do these routines. I know personally for me, I am one heck of a spec caller. As I'm continuing to learn how to be a better spec caller, I'm a heck of a spec caller in my truck. But when I'm in a layout blind in the middle of a rice field and I've got a flock overhead, you know, it's a little different even then, let alone getting up on stage. So kind of talk about that process is maybe the first time you went out on stage or, you know, just the process of getting out there, being, you know, really brave enough to get out there and show everyone exactly what you can do. Man, the first time I stepped on stage, I had uh, I had gotten in with uh, some guys and started practicing with them a competition calling and Going into my first contest, first year I'd ever done it, I hadn't been going at it very long, but I seemed to be catching on to it fairly quickly. And I couldn't wait to get up there and show everybody exactly how good I was. Uh, and I went to the, um, it was actually a Ducks Unlimited uh, festival there in Memphis at mm-hmm. their headquarters back when they had a huge festival there. And the first first main real contest of the year. So all the big guns were there, mm-hmm. you know, all the great callers that I had seen on television and guys that had won the world before finishing in the top 10. All the big guns are there. And I just couldn't wait to get up there and show all of them exactly what I could do. I was going to teach them a real lesson. And I remember um, a girl that I was dating went to, went with me. And she asked on the way up there, she said, you know, do any women compete in this with the men? I said, well, they have a women's division. But I said, there's, and there's going to be at least one lady there that I know of. And I said, she's a very, very good caller, but you know, they're not going to be able to really compete with the, with the men too well, just because of the air capacity and, and things like that. But I said, she's very good, but she really won't be able to compete. And so I got up there, walked out on that stage for the first time, um, ready to show the world. And man, I looked at that crowd of people. And I was so nervous and I started, I started blowing the routine. Now, uh, another thing that I had noticed is uh, I tend to put a lot of moisture into a call when I blow it. And sometimes that can make the reed start to stick down on you. So going up there, I didn't drink any water before I went up there because I didn't want that to happen to me and cost me this contest. Mm -hmm. So I went up there. I did not take a drink. I'm going through my routine, man. And I am getting so nervous. I start shaking and like, 
my leg, one of my legs is shaking. I'm, I'm starting to look like Elvis Presley up here, you know, <laughs> just from my nerves and my legs shaking. And then I'm thinking, I can't even concentrate on my routine. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, these people are just sitting here laughing at me, watching my leg shake. So I had the brilliant idea of I'm just going to shift my weight onto that leg to make it stop shaking. And that's what I did. But when I did that, the other one started shaking, just like <laughs> you were, just like that. Yeah, I really was Elvis there for a while. Best <laughs> dancing, yeah, best dancing I've ever done in my life. And then, you know, all I can think about is, oh my gosh, I'm embarrassing myself. These people are seeing me shake. And you know, when you get nervous, you tend to get a little bit cotton mouth. You know, your mouth gets dry. So I hadn't drank any water going up there. So I'm getting that, and my mouth is getting dry. When I got into my feed call, and I'm my tongue is popping up and down, you know, kind of the ticka ticka action that you get when you're blowing a feed call, my tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth as if I had a mouthful of peanut butter. <laughs> and these god-awful sounds came out of my call, just choking sounds. I mean, it sounded like I had a blue heron strangling it in a ditch somewhere, you know, and it just sounded horrible. And I get, through, <laughs> I get through and I sit down and I'm just so depressed. I'm so embarrassed. I am so depressed. I cannot believe that I just got up there and embarrassed myself like that. And that lady that I had just told my girlfriend, you know, that had no chance winning the contest, she kicked me right in the butt. I mean, <laughs> she, she beat the heck out of me. And then most of the guys that were there that day. So. Uh, I really got uh, brought down to earth in my in my first competition. Yeah, and that and that probably motivated you to, you know, maybe not necessarily be more prepared, but be pre- prepared for the crowd. You know, I think that that is a big step for a lot of people, and I think that's when I judge that competition. You know, I guess I didn't realize the, you know, the crowd capacity and the impact that it can have on these callers as soon as they step out on stage, especially. And then I started going to you know uh, Main Street and seeing that where you know you got several hundred people, if not more, you know, crowded right there on in downtown Stuttgart, and the spotlight is on. You know, as the sun sets, you know, they got this spotlight. I'm like, oh my gosh, like that would be so nerve wracking. It really is. And, you know, that did motivate me. The next contest that I got to enter, I actually finished third place in the next one. And I, to me, and I think that's one of the difference of if you've got a competitive spirit, you know, it's one thing you have to have to do this. I couldn't wait to get back on stage and prove that I was better than that, you know. So I really couldn't wait to get back up there. And then I was more prepared for the crowd. So I did much better in the second contest. It was still several years before I was actually able to, you know, to win the world or something like that. But uh, the crowd definitely does affect it. And, you know, a lot of it for me, especially in Stuttgart, when you're getting up there is getting that mindset right. You know, before you step up there, you almost have to get a fighting attitude when you get up there so that you're not intimidated by the crowd and so that you don't. Uh, blow your routine tentatively or, or, or something like that. You have to definitely have the right mindset going into it. Three-time world champion. And I like how you casually say, oh, ever since I kind of stepped away from it. Well, after you win the Worlds, I'm not sure if our listeners know this, after you win the World Duck Calling Championship three times, you are no longer allowed to compete, correct? Yeah, they have the Champion of Champions competition that they hold once every five years. You're still allowed to do that one. But other than that, as far as the Main Street competition, the ones that are sanctioned by the World Championship, after three World Championships, they they make a has-been out of you. They, <laughs> they retire you and make you step down. But hey, that's a good transition, though. I mean, that's a good transition for us as well into elite calls. Um, And you launched Elite Duck Calls um, not too long after. It would have been, was it your second or your third one? Uh, Shortly after winning my second one. That's right. Yeah, I just thought, you know what, man, I I never really had thought about uh, making calls. You know, like I said, I got my degree in physical therapy, so I was working as a physical therapist. But 
I thought, man, this is just an opportunity to try this and to make it, try to make a call. If nothing else, just make a call the way I wanted it. You know, when you, when you blow a call, you know, I think all of us, it's like, man, I love this call. I wish it had a little more of this, which is a little louder, a little softer. I wish it had some, you know, some characteristic that it doesn't have. You know, you're, we're, we're always chasing that perfect sound. And so I thought, man, I got an opportunity to, to try this and just kind of see where it goes. And so, I was basically tuning calls above my garage and, and working that way. And um, I guess it was 2013, but it was before, it was after I'd won my second world championship. So I started making elite duck calls. I didn't make any competition calls uh, starting out. I was just trying to make a, a hunting call the way that the way that I wanted. And uh, man, I just fell in love with it. It was just so much fun. And, and what did you when you started out? Like you're just like, all right, here I want this meat call to sound like this. What were some of the you know real small things that you really focused on? I like. I like a call that's easy to blow and I wanted it to have a good deep tone and a certain amount of raspiness on top. And I wanted that combined with, um, with the right amount of back pressure. I like to be able to put some of that natural squeal, that natural whine that you hear in a duck's voice. I like to have that in there. So to me, it was just, it was balancing uh, volume, raspiness, and then that, that hole, that nasally sound, that, that squeaky sound. If I can get that blended just right, that's what I'm looking for in a call primarily. Cool. And I'll be honest, I, you know, we kind of walk through uh, some of these calls and you've got, uh, and I, th- I thought it was the first one that you came out with, but I, mean, I might've been wrong, but the cash, walk us through the, the elite cash. Okay. Well, cash um, was supposed to be the, fir- the name of the first call that I came out <laughs> with, but I started working with it and we tried a lot of different things. We snubbed the end of it, but cut the end off of the tone board just to give it a flat effect to try to add some raspiness to it. We did different things and really had a call that was sounding good. I was so excited about it, and that was going to be the cash. But one of the guys that was working in the shop there where I was working to design it, you know, it's like we couldn't leave it alone. We kept picking it up and blowing it, and and we all were really enjoying the process of this. and. One guy picked it up and he blew it. He just sat it down and he hammered it on top and then he got really soft on the bottom and he, he set the call down. He said, man, you need to call that thing the freak. <laughs> and so that ended up being what we named that call. It was supposed to be the cash, but we named it the freak because it, it was the louder version. I thought, well, that's just a pretty cool name for a call. So so that was the first one that we designed. And then and that's a single read. And that's a single read. Yeah. And, that, and to this day, probably still our bestseller. Very versatile, like I said. Rich just got great volume on top. It's it's ducky. I mean, I just absolutely love that call. I don't know that I've hunted since without one of those on my lanyard. And then we decided to make a quieter version of it. We basically took that and then we cut the exhaust down a little bit, shrunk it down, train, changed a couple little uh, attributes of the call to make it softer, so it would give you a little bit of a lower volume option of that freak. And that's the one that we went ahead and named the Cash. And then from there, um, one thing that I quickly learned, you know, in, in Arkansas, blowing a double read is kind of a, it's kind of against your religion. You know, yeah. we all want single reads. So I went to uh, a local store here to talk to see about if they would carry the call and put it in their store. And they asked him, man, you make a double read? I said, no, I, I just, just make single reads. And he said, well, we, we typically sell more double reads than anything. So if you don't have a double, we're probably not going to be able to carry it. I said, well. I'll, I'll get a double. Uh, I'll see you. I'll see you later. I'll yeah. be back. And so we went back into the lab and we started designing uh, the double read. And one one thing about a double read that I never liked to me, 
they were too high pitched and they had too much of a fine sound to them. And we have just stayed after this thing to where, like right now, I am so proud of the edge. I would hunt with that thing anytime. And I have competition callers that will come in the shop and I'll hand them that edge. And I'll say, try this call real quick. Tell me what you think. And they'll blow it. And they're like, man, that's awesome. I love that call. And I said, well, it's a double read. They said, no, it's not. I said, yeah, it is. Chill, look. They'll pull it apart. They can't believe it's a double read because it's got such good ducky sound. So it has a deeper tone. It's raspy. To me, it's just got, you know, it's got what, what I didn't like about the, the double read to start with. I think we've conquered that and we've got a really great sound with this. So we do have the, do have the edge as well. Yeah. The edge is solid. I actually have one of those on my lanyard. So, um, you know, I, I'm a double read guy. You know, I didn't, I didn't go up in Arkansas not knowing that, uh, it was a single read game there, but, uh, so I always grew up with a double read. So I'm sure that probably leads into, um, why that store wanted you to have a double read. Cause people like me out there buying double reads. Uh, but you also, now you have a competition call as well. Uh, kind of talk about that one. Yeah, we've got, um, we got the legacy, um, which is made for open water conditions and, you know, it's, it's good for, Stepping on stage, if you want to compete in Stuttgart, it's got that versatility where it can do those ringing hail calls and it can come down and it's got solid duck on the bottom. And I've got a lot of guys that hunt with it. Like I said, we in Arkansas, we're geared more rice fields and, and timber, but I have a lot of guys, especially out of state, that hunt some real open areas, you know, lakes and marshes and things like that, that like to hunt the legacy. So it'll give you a, give you a good open water sound. Uh, we also have the murder which is a real raspy uh, hunting call. It's a shorter version of the, of the freak. And it's just, it's for a little call. It's got great volume on top. It's really raspy. I always kind of sell that it for, it's a little bit more of a call for advanced callers. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the raspiness of it. Um, but it's been a, a really popular call for us as well. And then uh, last year we started, or I guess two years ago, actually we started, playing around with uh, some calls and putting a groove in the tone board to help with moisture lock. You know, that's one of the big problems that, that people have blowing a duck call. And even me, I put a lot of moisture into a call. So if you have a call that's sticking on you, uh, we put some what we call spit grooves in there. And those, that's the uh, the Hurricane series. We have Big Hurricane, Little Hurricane, Big Hurricane being a louder version, Little Hurricane being softer. But it's just got some grooves in there to to help combat the the sticking problem. Awesome. And then you guys launched the spec call a couple years ago, well, probably three years ago at least. Uh, what made you guys get into the spec calling? Is it just the popularity of spec hunting in Arkansas exploded? Or is that something that you were pretty passionate about? Man, I have to admit, it was because, mainly because of the way that, that spec calling or spec hunting has exploded. You know, when I was a kid growing up in Arkansas, you know, I grew up, like I said, in, in, out in the middle of the country and, you know, farmland all around. And when you saw specs, it was like, what is that? Mm-hmm. You know, we saw snows all the time. We didn't see many Canada's, but I remember seeing be like, what, what is that out there in that field? It was just, it was just rare to see specs. We did not see many of them. And I think right now, uh, you know, in Arkansas, we've taken a pretty good hit on ducks the last couple of years. Our duck seasons have been a little bit down, but I think some of the best spec call or spec hunting in the world right now, uh, is in Arkansas. And it just, it, like you said, it's, it's exploded. There's no other word for it. We've got a ton of birds now. It's gotten very popular. And I love the sound they make. Uh, it's, it's been so much fun developing that call and, and going with it and seeing a lot of the hunters, they really love our spec call. They love the tone of it. They love that it's an easy call to use. So that's been extremely popular for us. Uh, but yeah, man, it's just, uh, 
it, that that's just taken off like wildfire here. Yeah. And that, and that kind of leads me into uh, my next question for you, which is one that we do, you know, I try and do this with all of our guests, but, you know, as we're heading into this duck season, I kind of, I've always asked people kind of just to reflect back on, you know, how was last year's duck season? And and it was a weird year, obviously the pandemic and everything. And, and everybody seemed to have a little bit different perspective on that duck season, but how was yours last year? Man, I'm going to be honest. It's kind of embarrassing to to be a champion duck caller and a guy that makes duck calls and, and admit that you didn't have a great season. But last year was just not that great for us. And in fact, I, I got so busy here at the shop. One, if you ever want to cut into your duck hunting, then start making duck calls for a living. <laughs> it's going it, that that is going to cut into your hunting ability somewhat. Um, but I just got so busy making calls here that there were a lot of mornings, you know, talking to the guys that I hunt with all the time. Like, man, we're not even seeing birds, man. There's nothing in the air. And so I actually hunted probably less last year than I ever had. Uh, I was just in here in the shop working all the time. We had a few, we had a handful of really good hunts. You know, we went out there, we really, really white worked on them a few days, um, traveled to Oklahoma, went on a hunt out there with some guys uh, and, and had a great time uh, doing that. But uh, it, the, the duck season was really funny to hear. It was like, you know, when you did get into them, they just would not take pressure. I, and, and I heard this story from so many other hunters, you know, coming in and out of the shop here. The same thing that we had seen is, you know, you get into the ducks and you hammer them one morning and you, you finally have that great hunt that you've been waiting on all year. And so you call your buddies like, hey, man, you know, we needed a couple more guns out here this morning. We had so many birds. Everybody shows up the next morning. Where are the ducks? They're gone. Yeah. They, they just would not tolerate any pressure. So back-to-back hunts were, were tough to come by. Now, there's always going to be places, you know, guys that have great locations. You know, they've, they've either got the X that they're hunting on or they have built the X for themselves, mm-hmm. you know, with putting out a lot of food and, and uh, managing uh, areas right so there, there's there's a few guys that really had a good season but i think top to bottom arkansas was way down last year yeah i would have been surprised if you just said oh i had a great duck season <laughs> you know like not very many people i've talked to had a great duck season uh in arkansas so um you know hopefully hopefully we're going into it you know i'm always going to it optimistic so hopefully we'll go into it this year um doing a little better and you know before i get you out of here i want you to talk about one thing though something you know i've, I've worked with you on several different things but uh one of the most popular things that uh, articles that I wrote uh, for the magazine and and online was it was a piece about the art of flight control. And it's a, a digital school for someone to go to uh, videos. I think it's a 16 video series. You could probably correct me on that, that, you know, you're walking people through the entire process of learning how to call ducks. Can you kind of talk about where that idea started? But then also let's, t- you know, kind of get into the details of each step of the art of flight control. Yeah, man. I, uh, that, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm so proud of. And I really enjoy when I meet other hunters at, at different events or they come into the shop and, and they tell me, Hey man, I really learned how to call on the art of flight control, or it, it helped me with this one aspect of my calling, you know, whatever the case, I absolutely love that. But, uh, man, just growing up, um, I learned to call from a gentleman that hunted with my dad who was a, was a pretty good duck caller, but he's the only source that I had. And I was always as a kid trying to get my hands on some type of instructional or talk to anyone, anything that could help me get better at duck calling. And so 
I mean, I've even, I go back, I'm dating myself, but I even go back to, I've listened to instructional records before trying to, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the, a lot of the young people had to have to Google that to see what I'm talking about, a record that you listen to, but, um, listening to records, or if I could get my hands on a cassette tape or anything like that with any type of duck calling instruction, man, I was just, I was just mesmerized by it. And I was just sitting in the forest trying to absorb every bit of it. And when I got into competition calling, um, you know, I mean, I didn't know at the time that there were people that would give lessons, people that have, you know, almost classes or groups of guys that would get together and practice. And and so once I decided to do it, the, the current world champion was Rick Dunn mm-hmm. uh, from Echo Calls. And I went to him to, to try to get a call made. And Rick was just such a nice guy. He was so gracious. He said, well, it's going to take you a little practice to get competitive, but we practice over here once a week, you know, so if you want to come and get in on the practice and we'll try to try to walk you through it. So every week, man, I couldn't wait to get over there and learn from those guys. And as I went through competitions, learning from him and they were, man, I learned from, from guys, got to learn a little bit from guys like Bernie Boyle, who was a, a world champion and champion champion as a caller. You know, I learned from Butch Richenbach, the founder of Rich and Tone. I got to learn a lot from him. Got to learn from Trey Crawford, who's a three-time world champion, champion mm-hmm. champions. I was so blessed, man. I got to learn from just some of the very best that have ever done it. And they were so gracious to help me. And I just, after winning the world, I was like, man, I wish everybody could experience what I did as far as learning how to blow a duck call. You know, when I first started my first competition, I had no business on that stage, but I got to learn from these guys and learn the right way to do it. And I had to break a lot of bad habits that I had formed growing up, learning the wrong way to do it. So I wanted to make basically the recording or, or make a make some path to learning to blow a duck call. I wanted to make what I wish I had had growing up. Mm-hmm. And so I just sat down with a pen and paper and, and started writing what would be step one. All right. You don't know which end of this thing to blow into. This is how you do it. This is how you regulate your air. This is the most important thing in learning to blow a duck call is learning to regulate your air properly. And I always tell you, just stay on that section for a long time. Once you learn that, the rest is just practice. And then build on it step by step. Here's step one. Here's step two. Here's the next way you go into it. And I just sat and wrote all that out and and for several days looked at it, just kind of like writing a book, you know, and going step by step and took it from the very basics all the way through some of the most advanced things that I would know how to teach someone incorporating the things that I had learned from the guys that taught me, plus some of my own stuff mixed in there a little bit. And then, you know, a lot of the instructionals I heard were recorded in a duck blind or they're out in the woods. They didn't have good, they didn't get have sound. You know, the sound may not be that great where they had recorded their tips on how to blow a duck call. So I went in and rented a recording studio uh, and it was so much fun going in there and seeing all these guitars and this guy laughing. You know, <laughs> he's used to recording, you know, great music um, from, top-notch musicians and now we're in there you know squawking around on a bunch of duck calls <laughs> but uh we went in there and i wanted it to have great sound quality so everybody could pick up on the nuances of what we were doing and uh man it was just a blast it was so much fun to record and then put it out and just the response to it and people enjoying it and it's just so satisfying so fulfilling to have to hear people tell me hey man i really enjoyed that and it made me a better caller yeah and people can check that out um on your on your youtube channel you have it i think on your website as well um but also in ducks.org you know you can find it on there uh, we've got some links to it uh from the past article but man brad this has been a great conversation um i know i've enjoyed it and i think you know if everyone gets an opportunity if you're looking to um 
you know, get into duck calling or just maybe tweak some things, you can check out that art of flight control. It's really cool. I mean, it starts out, like you said, with the being able to control your air, you know, all the way down into, you know, I think one of them is reactive versus confidence. Um, you know, that's a, and, and kind of explain that actually. I think that's a good, a good thing. You, rather than being a reactive caller, um, calling with confidence, you know, the, the variations of those. Can, can you explain that? That's actually chapter 12 in the art of flight control, by the way. Sure. Um, to me, there's 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 times uh, I, I, we separate the styles of call from being reactive versus confidence. And what we mean by that is with a reactive call, we're we're putting a call out there. We're making a sound that we're wanting a specific reaction from that duck. If he's up here hovering in the air and we're wanting him to turn quickly to hitch and come back over our decoy spread to turn him, we're going to hit him with a fast cadence to get a reaction out of him. Or if we're hitting, you know, if he's up high, we're going to hit him with the wanting the reaction to make him drop. And then sometimes we have where the ducks are working and they're doing what we want them to do. We don't want to change their path, but at the same time, we're a little bit fearful that if we just shut up and we just completely go silent, that that might spook those birds as well. So, you know, in some ways we're kind of a ventriloquist with, uh, with these plastic ducks that are floating in front of us, we're a ventriloquist for those ducks. So, you know, it's kind of like you walk into a, a crowded room of people and you hear noise and then suddenly you walk in and all of a sudden everything goes silent. You know, how does that make you feel? Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, it makes you nervous. And these ducks, I think we just have to keep the confidence that these plastic ducks are actually live birds down here. Uh, so we may do some very soft feed calls, some very soft quacks make some sounds, maybe some super soft cadences or just sounds where we're not looking for a specific reaction or a turn out of that bird. We want him to keep doing what he's doing. We're just trying to give him the confidence that these are live birds that he's working with. Very cool description. And that's a pretty good um, introduction as far as what, the, you know, the type of information that you can get from the art of flight control. Um, and Brad, before I get you out of here, you've got a podcast as well. And I know you wanted to mention that. Yeah, we sure do, man. Um, it's called Outdoor Asylum with Brad Allen. Uh, I've got some great interviews on there. If you if you check us out, uh, go back to our season one. You know, a lot of the guys I talked about that were mentors of mine. I had them on the podcast and got to interview them, talk to them about duck kind of got some great conversations with with a lot of those guys. We we talk about uh, the hunting seasons, the outlook for the upcoming seasons, weather conditions, you know, tactics in the blind. Uh, we also we have a lot of fun. We talk about life in general, some of this, the funny junk that just happens uh, in life. We talk a little bit about our faith. You know, it's just it's a good hodgepodge of topics on there. But, uh, man, really honored to be able to be on your podcast. And any of your listeners would like to come check us out. Uh, would love love to have them check it check it out. Awesome, man. Brad, this has been fantastic. Uh, great conversation. Enjoyed having you. We're gonna have to have you on later in the season. Uh, maybe get a little update from some of your hunting. Hopefully you're not in the call shop, uh, all season and you get to get out and hunt a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Would love that, man. Thank you so much for having me on. You guys are in Arkansas. Any of your listeners, when you're in Arkansas, we're in Searcy, Arkansas, the elite duck call shop. Love to have you stop by, check us out, stop in and say hello. I'd like to thank my guest, three-time world duck calling champion, Brad Allen, for joining us today and kind of giving an insight into elite calls, uh, championship calling, and even his online uh, tutorial of the art of flight control for duck calling. Um, I'd like to thank our producer, Clay Baird, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us and supporting Wetlands Conservation.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks.